we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 11. This is the last part of the Genesis Foundation series that I'm running, and then we'll be doing, uh, in two weeks, we're going to be starting the book of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, next week we have a guest speaker, guest missionary speaker coming, so it uh, kind of works out perfect in this, and then go into Luke in two weeks. So Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. I ask you to be with us as we look at your, your word and guide and lead us as we see what you want us to see from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And the whole earth was one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found the pla a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go on, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a, and a tower whose top may reach into the heaven, that we may make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have all one language, and this if they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language in all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. This is kind of an interesting story as we look at it, because it explains where all the multiple languages came from. They came from God. Because we, people who study languages have tried to go back and figure out what one language all the languages have come from. And they basically have come down to the fact, I believe if I recall correctly, that there were 11 or 13 language families, which would have been what God did to spread the people abroad. He, he caused confusion. But it said they started out, they were one language, one speech, which makes sense. So everybody came from the family of Noah. They all would have spoken the same exact language. And it says that they moved from the east. So somewhere on the eastern direction from the Mesopotamian Valley is where the ark landed. All right, we do not know where. We've got mountains called Ararat over there, but we don't know what mountain it landed on. And they moved east from there into the very fertile plains of the Mesopotamian Valley where the Euphrates and the Tigers rivers are. And the, we've said before, those are not the original Tigers and Euphrates River that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. They were just men coming down and saying, these rivers remind us of those rivers. We're going to call them the Tigers and the Euphrates rivers. They're not the original rivers. So they were, they were dwelling in... And what had God told them to do when they got off the ark was to be fruitful, be multiplying, and fill the earth. Well, they were being fruitful, and they were being multiplying, but they were stuck in Mesopotamian Valley because that's where everybody was at. It was easy. And how many times do we as people choose to do what is easy? God told Abraham later on in, in Genesis Leave the Ur of Chaldees, which is somewhere to the east of Babylon, and go to the land that I tell you. He followed the Euphrates up to the Haran and stopped. 
And we talked about that. He stayed in Haran for a long time rather than go to where God had told him to go. And the people in this story are going to say, we're going to build this tower, we're going to build a city so that we will make our name for ourselves lest we be scattered. They knew what they were supposed to do. Deep down, they knew they were supposed to fill the earth. They did not want to fill the earth. And you know, this is something that we as Christians oftentimes have a problem. God says, I want you to do something. And we kind of look at God and say, well, you know what, God, uh, that's kind of tough. I don't know that I can do that. That would be hard. And you know what? If God's telling you to do it, it's not only hard, it's impossible to do in your own strength because anything that God's telling you must be done with God. And it's scary. It's scary sometimes to look and God says, I want you to go do whatever it might be. You all know what God's told you to do in the past or even now. And you're going, God, I, I don't know that I can. I don't know if I have the strength. I don't know if I have the ability. I don't know if I have the money. I don't know, you know, God, I just can't see this happening. This is what was happening in here. Not only was this happening, this was Nimrod in charge of this, which we talked about Nimrod last week. He was a very uh, vicious person. He was a vicious king that was gathering the world unto himself. And most of these words would have been his. We're going to build this city. We're going to build a name. We're going to build a tower to get up to God because we are going to be like the Most High. We're going to get into heaven and we're going to be able to defeat God in heaven. And, you know, this is something that's very interesting because all sin basically boils down to this idea of being like God. In Isaiah chapter 14, the sin of Satan, who was called Lucifer, said, I will be like the Most High. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 16 is a whole series of I wills of his. I will ascend the mountain. I will climb the mountain of God. I will sit next to God. I will be like the Most High. That was his downfall. He fell. What was his temptation to Eve in the Garden of Eden? If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And man fell. Nimrod's sin was, I'm going to be like God. God has not been treating me fairly, so I'm going to get a tower. I'm going to go up and I'm going to do war with God. And somehow I'm going to win. I have never understood how anybody ever thinks that they're going to win against God, but you know, I fought against God a number of times myself, and I'm sure I thought I was going to win. Now, in my logical side of myself, I say, there's no way I'm going to fight, fight with God because I can't win. But our emotions more often take over, and we go, I'm going to, God, I'm not going to do you, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going, I'm going to win somehow. This is what's going on the people. We're not going to be scattered. We're going to make a name. And we've talked a lot about name is literally a reputation. A, it's not just my name. It's everything that goes behind that name. And in our day and age, name does not mean as much as it used to. Now, most of us sitting in this room are older. We remember when your name was everything. You, you had to have a good family name. And if your family name got soiled, it was the worst thing that could happen to your name. Uh, my dad always hammered in us, you know, you are Wells's, this means, and he listed off what it meant to be a Wells. All right. Uh, now, there are people, and we know that there are certain names you know, and you're going, okay, uh, drunk, thief, robber, bad person, bad name, bad reputation. They wanted to have a name. We're going to make ourselves special in God's presence. 
We're going to make sure that everybody knows who we are. Well, everybody still remembers them to this day. We still remember Nimrod's name to this day. We remember the tower that he tried to build because of what happened at that point. God came down and said, the men are unified. There's nothing that they cannot accomplish. And he was not saying that as a good thing. He wasn't saying, well, if they put their mind to it, they're going to be able to do all kinds of good things because he knew men were fallen. Their goal was not to do good. It was to rule. It was to abuse. It was to go against God. And he says they're all one. And God came down and he confused the languages and separated the people. And, you know, we don't even understand what that would be like. You know, we live in a world where we hear multiple languages. We might even know words in multiple languages. But, you know, I can just picture this point of view. You've been working with somebody all day long, and, they give, and they're going along, and all of a sudden, Boss Machen sieht this heute Abend. And they're going, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Boss Machen this heute Abend. In case you don't know, that's German. <laughs> it's the other language that I do speak some words in. <laughs> you know, but can you imagine? You've never heard. You don't, you don't even know that there's anything. You know, there's no such thing as another language. And then you go to ask them what's wrong, and they're looking at you like you're crazy because they don't understand what you're saying. This is a pretty big deal, and it stops the building of the temp that, uh, that uh, tower, the, the ziggurat that was being built for human sacrifice to reach into God and be able to battle against God. And all of a sudden, God stops what's going on. And people are made to separate and go all over this planet with different languages. And then each of those languages broke up. So now that we have our hundreds and thousands of languages that we have today. But you know, in today's world, we are getting past the curse of the Babel of Babel. We are becoming one people again because we no longer have the language barrier. We have interpreters. If those of you who carry cell phones, you can, you can put a translation program on your cell phone. You can type in what you want to say and it'll, it'll print it out and it can also speak it out in that language and you can record them and have it translate back. We have overcome the problem of the Tower of Babel and we are seeing one world government, which is what Nimrod was trying to build, a one world government that was against God. And we're seeing governments going against God. And we're drawing into one world government. And if you listen to the news carefully, we're asking for one world government. People are asking to go, we need a worldwide response that's all controlled by one leader. This is a scary time because we are on the precipice right now of judgment by walking into the one world order and reaching into revelation today this in this day and age or repentance and pushing it off when jonah went to nineveh and preached against nineveh's sin they repented and won 150 years of freedom with god we still have this chance to see a revival come to this world and have god's second coming be pushed off if not, we're sitting at the right here on the, on the precipice of revelation coming true, one world government. In the long run, that's not too bad for us as Christians because when you know Jesus Christ, he'll take you out. You know, it's going to get hard. It's going to be cruel. It's going to be problems before he comes. 
But before the worst of it comes, we'll be taken out. And Satan will be giving a majority free hand. He's not given a free hand. He will still be tethered. It only is his leash will be longer. Because if he had his way, he'd destroy the entire world and nobody would have a chance to come to God. He always will have to go to God, just as he did in Job when he had to go to God and say, God, uh, I'd really like to touch Job, but you won't let me. You realize he has to ask for permission to do anything because his goal is to totally separate people from God. So he has to go and ask for permission. And God gives him a lot of leeway with the lost world. But he'll also say, you can do this, but you can't touch their, you can't take their life yet. You can't take their life yet. Now, many times we kind of wish God would give uh, Satan a little less freedom. I'm sure Job really wished God would give him less freedom. He lost all of his possessions, lost his family, lost his health. Now, I'm sure his prayer was God, uh, you know, if he understood you know, what we know. God, I know that all things work together for good. I know you're going to bless me out of this, but could you just make the, make the trial a little less hard? And that's been some of our, our questions sometimes before God. God, couldn't you just do a little less? But you know, as with the disciples, we need to say, thank God I've been found worthy to suffer. It's not easy to suffer. It's not fun to suffer. But you know, we look at the future and say, God, you've got a reason. We see here God coming down and the people are headed the same direction they were headed before the flood. And they did it faster. They got there faster than they did before the flood. The flood happened 1,548 years, uh, 62 years after creation. We're only about 200 years after the flood and they're already pushing God's buttons to say, we're going to do things our way and do what's right in our own eyes. And God says, okay, fine, we'll just separate you guys and we'll give you millennia of re-getting over this, this. And they were scattered. This is what God can do. He doesn't do things to the same way twice very, you know, when he does things. When Jesus walked on this earth, he healed people in different ways each time. Some people he touched, some people he spoke. One time he spit in somebody's eyes, one time he made a mud pack. You know, he did all kinds of things different. And you know what I have seen in God's walk with me over the, over the 40 years that I've been walking? He always does things differently. He does not answer prayers the same way. Why? Because he is greater than we are, he is higher than us. He does not want us to put him in a box. And I've learned that if I try to put God in a box, say, God, this is the way you've got to fix this or take care of this. Number one, God doesn't even get in the box. <laughs> but even if he did, he'd get right back out of the box real quick. He, don't, he doesn't even get in my box. And he doesn't get in your box <laughs> that you try to make for him. God, I think you really, you know, God, I really need this. I think you need to bring a millionaire into my life to just drop the money into my, into my, into my life so I can take care of this. And God goes, that would be too easy. That would be too easy for, you, for us to do. He's going to say, I will get you what you need when you need it. One of the greatest things about walking by faith is when you get the thing that you need when it's needed. God rarely gives it to us before we need it. We want to look at the times that are coming ahead of us. If we do not repent and we go into tribulation and we go into trials that we're going to be facing, we want to think, well, God, I know that I can be able to stand up for you. No, if you think that way, you're, not going to, you're going to fall so fast that it's going to make your head spin. My, my thought has always been, God, I sure hope that I can stand, but I know that you're going to give me the grace to handle whatever comes my way. 
The disciples before the book of Acts were, were running away from the trials. You know, Jesus got arrested in the garden and all of them disappeared. Now, Peter was pretty bold for a few minutes. He took his sword out and he was ready to fight the entire army. And then Jesus told him, put your sword away. And then he disappears and denies Jesus three times. You know, he had every intention of being bold. He had every intention of saying, God, I would never, I would never leave you. I would never, never uh, walk away from you. I'll never deny you. And yet he did. Because in our flesh, we cannot handle what's going to come our way. Everything that God puts us through is right on the edge of what we can handle and it's designed to push us to him. 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation overtaken you, but such it is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. That temptation he takes us to is literally over what we in our flesh can handle. We turn to him and we can handle everything. It doesn't matter what comes our way. With God, we can do all things. Without him, I can do nothing. And God will prove that I can do nothing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, we're told in Isaiah. The best that I can do apart from God, God says, is worthless. And that word for filthy rags talks about medical waste rags. They're the ones that are covered with blood and, and pus and, and everything. And God says, everything good you can do is a pile of medical garbage that's just good for burning away. Do we really look at ourselves and say, God, I am nothing? Now, this is something because in our day and age, what are we pushing? Oh, you have to have a good self-image of yourself. Self-image is everything. You know, and yes, we don't want to be too far off, but you know, our image must rest in who God says we are, not who our self says we are. Because in our flesh, we don't deserve anything. My image must be in Christ. In Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I am righteous. In Christ, I am perfectly righteous before God. And he looks at me in Christ and says, this is my perfect child. He looks at you the same way. This is my perfect child. Now, we know we're not perfect, but God says, in Christ you are. In Christ, you're adopted into, this, into the family of God. In Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you are strong. When you think you're weak, you're loved, even though you don't feel, feel loved. In Christ, we are everything. Our image must be who we are in Christ, not who I think I am in my strength. Because I have learned every time I think I'm something, God will work really well to make me know that I'm nothing. And usually do it in front of everybody so that I can't even deny that it was that, that, that it happened because there's too many people who know that I blew it. I'm trying to be loving to everybody and God will make sure that if I think I'm doing it in my own strength that I'm going to get unloving to somebody and it's going to happen in front of other people. So they're going, oh, you're not all that. We cannot be looking at other people, no matter who it is pastors, evangelists, who our discipler is, we cannot look at them and, and say they are going to fulfill me. For husbands and wives, you can't look at your spouse and say that my spouse is going to fulfill me. Now, hopefully we love each other and we're nice to each other and we're kind to each other, but we're never going to meet the needs of that person and they're never going to meet our needs. It has to be in Christ. Who am I serving and why has to be serving Christ? 
Now, when I'm serving Christ and I'm drawing closer to him, I will get better at my relationships with individuals. I will get better with the relationship with my family. I'll get better with the relationship with individuals because I'm drawing closer to Christ and he's coming out. And this is what God said. The people are one mind, one tongue, and they're going to go back to evil. And God says, we're going to delay this. Now, I'm not saying they were good when they were dispersed, but he's breaking up the people. There's, and, you know, we see it in our world. How many people in those riots are actually rioting for, the, you know, for what they say they're rioting for? They, I've heard the interviews. They talk to people, and they go, well, what do you think about so-and-so that they're supposed to be rioting about? Who's that? They're just out there rioting. Here's a chance for me to do what my flesh wants to do, do bad things. We desire sin in our, in our flesh. Now, we are crucified with Christ. God lives in us. And, but we have a desire to sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> Real simple. If, if you did not desire to sin, you would not do it. You know, we do what we desire. So the idea that we want to be is filled with Christ, filled with the Spirit, so that our desires are to follow him, to do what he wants to do. And it takes a long time to get there. God changes us over time. And even when we think we've arrived, he'll show us that we haven't arrived because he says, I'm still, I'm, you know, you're only at the beginner level. You've been doing this for 80 years, but you're still only at the beginner's level. And you're going, God, I'm so much better than I used to be. And God goes, yes, you're much better than you used to be, but you're not there yet. And we all know what that's like in our life as we walk with God. And we look back and say, God, I'm so, I'm so much better. I don't, I don't get so mad at people anymore. I'm not ready to, to, to kill the people. And God says, yeah, but you're still, you're still angry with them. Well, God, you know, I'm only human. And God says, yes, I know, but let's get that humanity out of you. And you get down, and now you're being nicer to them and nicer to them. And God says, oh, you're doing much better. But we can never get complacent with where we are because God says, my standard is higher. The closer we get to God, the more we get to know him, the more we're going to realize that we don't know anything. I love it. You know, I've told you all, when I came out of Bible college, I had all the answers to everything, every biblical thing that it was to deal with, and I, was, I, I knew everything that you needed to know. I've been studying for another 30 years since then, and I've come to find out that I really don't know much about anything. Yes, I know more than a lot of people, but, you know, God keeps showing me that you don't know. You don't know much. And, you know, this is what I'm hearing from all the older pastors I listen to. We've, we all get to the point where we realize, I don't know much of the scripture as, like I thought I did. I don't know how to love the way I should be loving. I don't know how to forgive the way I should forgive. I don't know how to, to give grace the way I should be giving grace. And yet we know that we've come a long ways, but we also say, wow, God, I'm now comparing you not to myself, not to others, I start comparing myself to God, and it's like, oh, I, I am just not anywhere there. But the good news is we don't have to be because God works through us. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and he's saying, just get your flesh out of the way, and I will work out of you. I love it when I'm giving a testimony or giving a evangelism and giving a testimony to somebody and all of a sudden, I'm listening to myself, my voice speak, and it's not me anymore. And going, wow, 
I'm not, I'm not that good at talking. I'm not that smart. I'm not that, I'm not that thing. And you're, and you're listening to yourself talk. And it's God speaking through you. It's God saying what you need to be saying. You know, and I don't know how many people this has happened to, but it's wonderful when you're just, you're just talking, and the next thing you know, God is using you. We need to just let our flesh get out of the way. Let God work. Do what he's asked to do. He scattered the people, hoping that they would follow him. Nimrod and Babylon stays in Babylon. He gathered the people that understood him. He's going to be an evil, evil person for the rest of his lifetime. He is going to battle with Eber, who's the founder of the Hebrew people, who Abraham comes out of. They're going to have battles between them because it's God against evil. And the two people they represented is Eber and Nimrod. All false religions fall back to Babylon, which is why when God uses the term Babylon in the Bible, you need to look at it and say, God, are you talking about the city Babylon? Or are you talking about the world system of Babylon? And this is something you need to look at when you look at the Bible because all through Revelation, it talks about Babylon. And it's hard to understand. Are we talking about the city of Babylon? which could raise up. I mean, Satan centered everything in Babylon. Or is it the world system of false religion that's going to happen? And there's both in Revelation. It's both at, ver at various times. But we need to be able to understand God scattered people because of the emphasis of the false religions that were going on. So he scattered the people and said, okay, we are putting time because imagine how long it took them to be able to communicate with each other. Have you ever tried to speak to somebody that you don't know the language they speak and they don't speak your language? Uh, you know, and it's not a language you've heard? I worked at a restaurant. We got buses loads of people in, and, and the Asians would come in and, and try to order food. You know, they didn't, and they didn't speak English, and I don't know a word. I mean, I'm not too bad with European languages. I can at least figure out a lot of European languages, but when it came to the... Asian languages, I had no concept of what they, and they would end up pointing at the, the menu and everything, and you hoped you got them what they wanted. Now, this is the way it was after Babel. The people are scattered. They have no way of communicating to each other. You know, you're holding out a cup of water. You know, are you talking about the cup? Or are you talking about the water? Are you talking about a drink? Are you talking about, you know, there's all kinds of things. You know, what exactly are you asking them for? They needed time, and God was able to buy time with the people. And now, in our 21st century, we have overcome this problem, which is one of the reasons we're probably at the end of our world. God is coming, and he's coming soon. Could be in our lifetime if we don't repent and re renew ourselves. It could be in a century if we have a revival. We need to pray for revival. We need to prepare for no revival. If you want to know the cycle, read Judges, the book of Judges. People would go in, do what's right in their own eyes, and they would turn against God, and God would bring judgment on them, and they had a choice of either repenting or abiding under that judgment. We are at the point in the wheel of, are we going to repent or be judged? And the whole world is at that point. There's not a nation out there that's not at that point. I don't see a righteous nation out there right now. We need a revival. We need to be praying for revival. We also need to prepare our hearts in case there isn't a revival. Because the evil and the righteous suffer during that period of time. 
And this is going to be the case. Now, God will protect us. He will give us the grace, but there will be suffering. The disciples suffered. They, just suffer, they suffered all kinds of things, like being thrown into jail, being beat with a flagellum, uh, being, being uh, persecuted. And all of them, except for John, eventually gave their life for Christ. Just because we're Christians does not mean that we won't die. Doesn't mean that we won't suffer. We need to be prepared for what's coming our way. And I think it's coming soon. It's really burdening on my heart that I prepare our church for what's coming. I would love to see the revival. Believe me, I want to see a revival. I've got some grandkids. I'd like to see my grandkids grow up and have a good world. But I'm looking at it and saying, God, are we going to have a revival? The people have been praying for a revival for a long time. We are on the precipice, but I'm saying get your heart ready. The end times are coming. And even if they don't come in our lifetime, they're still coming. Every day we go forward, we're one day closer to the return of Christ. The disciples thought it was going to happen in their day. That was 2,000 years ago. Didn't happen in their day. And you witness to people, and you, oh, you Christians have been saying that Jesus is coming soon. He is. And we're closer today than we were yesterday. We're closer than we were when the disciples walked this world. It is coming. We cannot ever forget that it's coming. And it is going to be a trial for the church, especially when the church is getting away from God. The Western church has an easy God get saved and God's going to bless you and, and all of this good stuff. You know, you get saved and everything good happens to you. Where they get that from the Bible, I don't know. It's what Job believed. Job believed that when you uh, followed God and treated God, gave God, you got nothing but blessings. That was his biggest problem when he got the trials and God was trying to teach him a lesson. I'm still God even when th bad things seem to be happening to you. We need to understand that God is still God even when bad things seem to be happening to us because he has Romans 8:28, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the love God and are called according to the purpose of God. I really want you to believe that verse because when things get hard, if you don't believe that verse going into the problem, you're not going to believe God's word when you're in the middle of the problem. I believe that. When I go through hard times, I really believe that verse. And if somebody reminds me about Romans 8:28, when I'm going through hard things, I'm going, yes, thank you for the reminder. And I told you, I learned the hard way when I was a young man not to use Romans 8:28 with somebody who didn't believe it. Because they were in the middle of the problem, and I told them, you know, all things work together for good, and they just, they just went off the handle. You know, because they did not believe the verse. What verses do you hang on to for yourself? You all know that Romans 8.28 and Galatians 2.20 are two of my favorite verses. Those are my life verses that I hold on to tightly when things go wrong. Each individual will have your own verse that God will say, this is for you, that really comforts you. I know for many people... Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path is a very powerful verse and it is a very powerful verse. When everything's going wrong, you grab hold of that verse and that can be the same, that can be your Romans 8, 28 because you're saying, I'm going to trust in God that God has a plan. He's going to lead. Each verse, if it means something to you, grab hold of it. Use it for your lifestyle and your walking. For me, it's when, I, when bad things happen, I'm going, God, you've got a plan. And I love it because I just grab hold of it. You've got a plan. 
All I've got to do is stay out of the way. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of him. I am crucified. And if I stay out of the way, God can use me. And I know that he's got a plan for everything that happens. When everything seems to go wrong, when everything seems to be going bad, God has a plan. Imagine these guys in Babel. Everything's going along. Your daily, daily process is going along. And the next time you can't even talk to, your, talk to your neighbor. Your whole life is shaken upside down. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have Romans 8.28 written to them. They had to either trust God or not trust God. Those who didn't trust God were thrown for a complete loop. Those who trusted God were thrown for a loop, but at least they had a hope that God was still in charge. And this is the great thing. For us as Christians, we may be affected by the bad things that happen to us. We're going we're gonna to get down. I mean, you know, God, I woke up and all four of my tires were slashed and I had to get to work. And, and I was told if I didn't go to get to work on time, I was going to be fired. And now I'm not going to get to work uh, on time because all my tires have been cut. Now, God, how can this be good? And God says, I still have a plan. How can we follow God? We learn to trust him. Learn to trust him. Get into his word. Take these verses that we memorize. Hopefully at least some verse that we've memorized as a church over the last five years is something that means something to you. And if I don't pick the one you like, go memorize your own verse. When, God, when you're reading the Bible and God says, this is for you. Grab hold of that verse and use it. And say, God, I am going to trust. This is my, this is my lifeline. When all things seem to be going against me, I'm going to hold on to this verse as my lifeline. So we want to keep that in mind because God has got this plan for us. He scattered the world and his whole point was to have them do what he told them to do. He said, fill the earth. And man filled the earth. We are getting close to the population of the world before the flood. The flood had trillions of people by the, near, by the, by the projections that I put out on my computer. We have trillions of people on the world right now. We have people turning to do what is right in their own eyes. We have people turning to do what they think is good. Just as it said in the days of Noah, before the flood. How close are we? We're, we're on the edge. We're on the edge. And if we're not on the edge now, we're, going, we're getting closer every day to the edge. Prepare yourself for the trials. Because things are going to get bad before, before God takes us. He never keeps his people completely out of trials and tribulations. There's always those things that happen. And we, not, we want to prepare ourselves. We want to know that God is still in charge. And just know that God is in charge. God was in charge of Job's life. And nobody's gone through what Job went through is that, I, that I know of losing everything when they started out as a righteous person. That's one thing to lose everything when you're, when you're living in sin and you know you deserve it. Job lost everything, and God's testimony of him, he is a perfect and righteous man who hates evil. And he lost everything but his wife. And he lost his health. And he stayed faithful. He went through some hard times, just as any of us would. We need to prepare ourselves for trials. When trials come our way, don't note I didn't say if, but when trials come our way, do we trust God? God. Very important. Because he's there. 
he takes his children, those who have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ's death and burial and resurrection for our sins, and we accept him and he comes into our life, we have a hope. The worst thing that can happen to us is we almost die. Because when we die, we get to go to the Father. Job was about the worst thing that can happen. Strip every possession away and take your health away and let you suffer. That's the worst thing that can happen to us. And even that, according to Paul, is something simple because I look at heaven and say, heaven is good. Heaven is a blessing. Once we've been in heaven for several million years, we won't even be thinking about this world and the pain and suffering we went through in this world. The only reason we might think about it is, oh yeah, that was a reward I got for what I did on earth. Yeah, that was, that was 20, 20 million years ago. I got that for, for what God did through me on earth. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know what it's like, but you know, this world is just a blink of the eye or a twinkling of an eye. It's just a glimmer compared to heaven and eternity. Whatever God chooses to put us through in this lifetime, if we keep our eyes on heaven, it's nothing. And I'm not saying it's not hard to go, that it's going to be easy to go through. It is tough to go through the problems of this life. We've all been there where we've had troubles in our life or are having troubles in our life. But God is still in charge. He has a plan. And when you're his child, the ultimate goal is heaven. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship you. We ask you to keep us and lead us. Lord, help us to focus more on you in all that we do, in all that happens. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church P.O. Box 65 Chloride, Arizona 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.